America, welcome to Cry, Let It All Out. We're doing The Killing of Tupac Shakur by Kathy Scott. I'm Sweet D, or Cry, your host, and we're doing a new episode today. Yeah! Say it with me, America. We love Tupac and Biggie. Yay! And we're doing Chapter 8. We're going to finish with Chapter 8. Biggie Smalls, the murder of Biggie Smalls. Let's get started. And we are right here. Two witnesses were able to help police. Unlike the members of Tupac's entourage, two of the men sitting with Biggie in a suburban that night provided enough information for police artists to sketch a detailed composite drawing. The drawing shows a black man with a heart-shaped face, a light-trimmed mustache, and a receding hairline. He was wearing an Oxford shirt and a dark bow tie. Moen described the suspect as a young male African-American in his early 20s. The drawing was circulated nationwide. Police have also said they believe the gunman had an accomplice. Early on, investigators considered the theory that Biggie Small's death may have been paid back for Tupac Shakur's slaying. We believe it was gang-related, said Lieutenant Moen. We believe that it was premeditated and that he was targeted for the purpose of killing him. The way it went down, it was a targeted hit. Lieutenant Moen added during a news conference where investigating possible connections to other murders in New York, Atlanta, and L.A. We can't ignore the fact that there have been a number of murderers, including rap singers, recently. About two weeks after the shooting, L.A. police seized the videotape in Houston they felt could help them find Biggie's assailant. We expect the tape to give us some key information. We're hoping the tape is going to assist in having people come forward to identify the shooter for us. Moen told the Houston Chronicle, a Houston woman who spoke to the newspaper on condition of anonymity, told the Chronicle the tape was filmed by a group of Houston residents who were in Los Angeles for the Soul Train Music Awards. In a follow-up phone call, Moen said he couldn't reveal what detectives learned from viewing the videotape because it was evidence in the ongoing investigation. L.A. homicide detective Harper, who wouldn't give his first name, said, The tape is just one in a million things we're doing in the investigation. There were rumors that Biggie was under federal surveillance just before the shooting, but they were unsubstantiated and probably not true, according to LAPD's Lieutenant Pat Conman. I have no idea what the feds are doing, but to my knowledge, that's not true. Conman said in a telephone interview, I have no knowledge that Biggie Smalls was under surveillance by the feds. 
But the Los Angeles Times reported that undercover officers from New York were in the vicinity at the time of the shooting as part of a federal investigation of criminals thought to have connections to bad boy entertainment. Carmen also said that the members of Las Vegas Metro Police's homicide team investigating Tupac's murder had been in touch with LAPD detectives about Biggie's murder. But just in the normal course of business, I believe detectives have had some conversations with them. They are following the case. Unlike investigators in Tupac's murder case, Los Angeles police have been optimistic about cracking Biggie's homicide and have publicly said they expect to make an arrest. I can tell you we are going to make an arrest, Lieutenant Moen said at the news conference two weeks after Biggie's slaying. I cannot tell you when we are going to make that arrest. There's a lot left to be done yet in this investigation. But six weeks after Biggie's death, Homicide Lieutenant Conman admitted that nothing new had come up in the case. We have just a few leads we're following it up, Conman told me. There's nothing startling to report. Detective Harper pointed out that people are afraid and don't want to talk to us. People, rappers, have careers to look after. In stark contrast to the Tupac investigation and Metro's three-man homicide team, LAPD assigned a team of 20 investigators who identified and interviewed nearly 200 witnesses. We didn't need any more. Metro's Manning insisted. The L.A. police gathered as much information in their case with all their people as we did in ours. The more people involved, the more things, information, get lost. You have a communications problem. As of this writing, the same number of investigators were still working on both cases, and Manning's statement appears accurate. Whether they were throwing three investigators or 20 at the respective cases, neither Metro nor the LAPD have closed either murder. Biggie and Tupac once counted each other as friends. The two had a falling out after Tupac accused Biggie of copying his style and of setting him up in the 1994 robbery at Quad Studios in Manhattan, where Tupac was shot the first time. Biggie was in the building recording an album at the time. According to San Francisco DJ Sway, the Biggie thing, Tupac told me, is what he heard. He knew Biggie didn't pull the trigger at the Manhattan studio shooting. There were allegations in the air that Biggie had something to do with it, but I don't think Tupac knew who did it. When Tupac was in jail, he got letters from people saying Biggie's homeboys had something to do with the shooting. In Tupac's mind, that scenario grew stronger as more and more people told him that. And the two were at odds with each other ever since. The record labels were rivals during the same time. As early as 1994, Biggie told the Chicago Tribune, I'm scared to death, scared of getting my brains blown out. By the bitter enemy, by then bitter enemies, Tupac and Biggie taunted each other, and they used their music to do it. After accusing Biggie of stealing his lyrics, Tupac went out and stole Biggie's wife, or at least he came to have slept 
with Faith Evans. Biggie and Faith were separated. Biggie had been dating rapper Little Kim when he died. Tupac rapped, I effed your B, you fat MFer. You claim to be a player, but I effed your wife. Biggie rapped right back in his solo album. Dumb rappers need teaching. Lesson A, don't F with B-I-G. That's that. But Biggie claimed the lyrics had nothing to do with Tupac. In the Merrimack's documentary titled Rhyme and Reason, Biggie talked about his dispute with Tupac and said it was just a coincidence. We two individual people, you know what I'm saying, he said. One man against one made a whole West Coast hate a whole East Coast and vice versa. The situation with Tupac was blown up to much more than it was, he told the Source magazine. They'd gone and made a personal beef between me and Tupac and Death Row into a coastal beef, east against west, and that's crazy. That's bananas right there. He said he still planned to go to California because they got the woman, the weed, and the weather. He blamed the media for the hype. I never did nothing wrong to nobody, he said. I ain't never did nothing wrong to Tupac. I ain't never did nothing wrong to Faith. And I keep kept quiet. I kept my mouth shut. I figured if I had been the one sitting here riffing, it's, I'd seem like I had a point to prove. I know I ain't doing nothing, so it don't make no sense for me to be saying nothing. I just let everybody do they think. After Tupac was killed, Biggie told Spin Magazine's Sia Michael, I have nothing to do with any of that Tupac. That's a complete and total misconception. I definitely wouldn't wish death on anyone. I'm sorry he's gone. That dude was nice on the mic. For his part, Tupac, in a Vibe Magazine interview, described Biggie as his brother. Regardless of all this stuff, no matter what he say, what I say, Biggie's still my brother. He's black, he's my brother. We just have a conflict of interest. We have a difference of opinion, he said. I don't want it to be about violence. I want it to be about, I don't want it to be about money, I told Shug my idea. Bad Boy made a record with all the East Coast Ends. Death Row made a record with all the West Coast niggas. We dropped the records on the same day. Whoever sells the most records, that's who's the bombest. And then we start battling. We could do pay-per-views for charity for the community. That's as together as we can get for money. What about getting together as black men? We are together as black men. They over there, we over here. If we're really going to live in peace, we all can't be in the same room. Writer Kevin Powell said he thought Biggie was an unfortunate, innocent bystander in the death world bad boy feud. Should definitely encourage that, Powell said. It sells records, definitely. What record label? Think about it. When in the history of music has a song like Hit Em Up been put out. People heard the record. It was ridiculous. Tupac says he slept with Biggie's wife, Faith. There's a song on Biggie's new album. It's called Notorious Thug. He says, I have a so-called beef with you-know-who. He doesn't even say Tupac's name. 
I really feel deep down in my heart that Biggie just happened to be an innocent bystander and he caught the brunt of it. Powell said in a telephone interview from Brooklyn, Black kids, the young black people on the East Coast, are very different from the West. I can go to Harlem. I can go to Staten Island or Queens. It's not like a big deal. We've never claimed East Coast like they claim West Coast in California. New York is not the East Coast. You have Connecticut, Florida, other states. I know for a fact that a lot of kids in the East Coast love West Coast music. I do. Biggie was the first East Coast artist in a long time who was able to transcend those boundaries. People here are petrified of going to California at this point. No one knows where it's coming from. The running joke is whoever is mentioned in Tupac's last album, they are scared to death. You don't know who's doing the killings. You don't know where it's coming from. It's scary, man. K.M.E.L. Sway said, The media has done a very poor job of reporting the truth and kind of printed what they wanted to print in order to sell papers. There's no such thing as an East-West war. There are individuals who had conflicts. It's not the coast of a country against a coast of a country. It's easier to print that. The coasts are divided by the media. It's a sad world where you can't even go to the other coast and go out and enjoy a party like everyone else because you think somebody's going to kill you, commented Peter Thomas, a rap music promoter. You're not just talking to an individual. You're talking to a complete community. And in that community, there's a lot of people who have absolutely no sense, but they do have a 45. For a rap superstar, wrote Sia Michael in Spin Magazine, Biggie's dreams were almost embarrassingly small. His ideal future, he said, was to quit the game and just chill and watch my kids grow up, live the life of a normal rich person. That became an impossibility the day Tupac Shakur declared war on Biggie. Just before he was killed, Biggie told the Source magazine he thought about quitting the game of rap, commenting that he was laying low because I could F around and get murdered out in these streets. It's a headache. Sometimes as of late, I've really been talking about quitting. I really want to stop. If I was financially stable, I would. I figure if I was to make like a cool 10 or 15 million, I could. Probably just chill and put my artists out on my label and help them out more. But just not make any more music. I would quit. He talked about relocating from the east to the south where I can just move at my pace and not really have anybody moving at the same pace as me. Or when I can just do what I want to do and it wouldn't seem strange to other people. I just want to be in a calm area. I just want to be able to relax. Sway conducted one of Biggie's last interviews on the air. Sway said Biggie talked about Puffy being instrumental in him finding God in his life. He talked about his child. He had a baby. He talked about music and trying to be one of the best rappers. It was real important that he get respect as an MC. I don't think he had no idea what was going 
to be. I don't think he had no idea what was going to hit him. He wouldn't have been parading around like that in L.A. if he did. No arrests have been made, and Biggie Smalls' murder remains unsolved. Now we're going to move on to Chapter 9. And Chapter 9 is called Gangsta Rap and the Record Companies. Rap began as a beat in the streets and wordplay. It draws its roots from the Jamaican art form known as toasting. Early rapper DJ Cool Herc said that the whole chemistry of rap came from Jamaica. I was born in Jamaica and I was listening to an American to American music in Jamaica. In Jamaica, all you needed was a drum and bass. My music is all about heavy bass. In the early days when rap was getting started, the rhyming was added. Its authentic from the street lyrics were crucial to rap's success. Rap developed into an East Coast cultural phenomenon, which included graffiti and breakdancing. For me, the rhyming came about because I liked playing lyrics that were saying something. Something, DJ Coolhart said. I figured people would pick it up by me playing those records, but at the same time, I would say something myself with a meaningful message to it. Herc identifies the first rappers besides himself as Coke of Rock, whose first stage name was A1 Coke, Timmy Tim, Clark Kent, and Boo King, all American rappers. Artists such as James Brown, The Last Poets, and Gil Scott Heron helped influence rap's early years. Surfacing in the 70s, rap was a vibrant, provocative new musical form from America's urban black community. It has progressed into different sounds and different avenues. It's freestyle music, a form of electro-funk music with a beat in the background, and an MC, a rhymer, rapping to it in front. The first real hip-hop song, Rapper's Delight, by Henry Big Banley Hanley, broke into the mainstream in 1979 under the first hip-hop label, Sugar Hill Gang. Hanley was a club bouncer who started emceeing and rapping in a New Jersey pizzeria. Early hip-hop rappers were Melly Mel, Grandmaster Flash, and Rakim. Rakim was one of the first to rap about the living conditions of African Americans and Latinos. The trend continues today. Tupac Shakur often said his music showed him how he and others like him really lived in the ghetto and in the streets. In 1987, the music industry for the first time recognized rap music by giving it a separate category at the American Music Awards. It elevated rap to the mainstream. Hip-hop became the term for the culture surrounding rap music. True hip-hop, say those in the music industry, evolved from bebop in the 1950s. Rapping or singing, scratching records, breakdancing, and graffiti art are all a part of the hip-hop culture. 
How the rappers act, walk, look, and talk are also a large part of the culture. Without that, the music is colorless, rappers say. Like rap, hip-hop was popularized in the mid-70s, particularly in the South Bronx section of New York City. It has thrived within the African-American and Puerto Rican communities in New York. It's referred to today as the culture of the hip-hop nation. In the late 1980s, gangster rap splintered off from the larger hip-hop rap culture. The lyrics borrowed heavily from the 60s and 70s themed themes of sex, drugs, and rock and roll with the violent new twist, a primary focus on gangs and weapons. New words and phrases infuse the style, such as gats, 19th century gatling guns, gang wars, bees, and h's, blunts, fat marijuana joints or cigars, 40 ounces bottles of malt liquor, and 25 with an L, 25 years to life in prison. Some credit Philadelphia Schoolie D as being the original hardcore gangster rapper. Other claims, others claim the hardcore rap style was officially launched with Ice T's Ryan Pays album in 1987. On the East Coast, Def Jam's LL Cool J, Public Enemy, and the Beastie Boys, who are white, brought gangster rap into the mainstream. Compton's N.W.A., Niggas with an Attitude, pioneered gangster rap on the West Coast. Dr. Dre, who later founded Death Row Records with Suge Knight, was an early member of N.W.A. Gangster rap, which chronicles the bleak and often violent way of life of the residents of the nation's toughest black neighborhoods, has increasingly sparked controversy since it emerged in the late 1980s and the early 1990s. Much of the controversy has centered on the violence-packed lyrics. The music industry, insisting it is defending artistic freedom and arguing that music doesn't cause violence, has weathered a storm of criticism. Some of the criticism has been prompted by practice of the record companies of hiring rappers with criminal backgrounds. Oh, I see. The gangster rap rivalry developed in the 1980s when West Coast rappers grew more popular, suppressing the record sales of East Coast rappers. Biggie Smalls, who built his gangster rap persona around a troubled past that included his admitted crack-dealing days, was credited with reviving the East Coast scene, thus rivaling the West Coast. In 1994, on the Bad Boy label, which was launched in 1993 by Puffy Combs, a 22-year-old college-educated entrepreneur. According to the Record Industry Association of America, RIAA, rap music accounted for nearly 10% of total record sales in 1996, amounting to $1.1 billion. 
Industry statistics include indicate death row records alone generated a hundred million. Its hardcore recordings by Tupac Shakur and Snoop Doggy Dog ranked as the most successful. Bad Boy sold about seventy-five million worth of albums in nineteen ninety-six from such artists as B.I.G., Faith Evans, Craig Mack, and One Twelve. Early on, Combs developed a reputation for cockiness and arrogance. And Suge Knight developed a strong dislike for him. After Tupac joined Death Row, he too openly criticized Bad Boy, particularly Biggie Smalls, and Tupac fanned the flames with his public pronouncements on rap. In Tupac's own estimation, no one could rap like Tupac could. And you know this, man. Nobody can talk about pain like Tupac. Yes, he told Vibe magazine. No one knows it like me. It separates me from other rappers. All the pain I'm talking about in my rap, you can see it. Tupac prided himself in embodying the thug life aspect of gangster rap. When asked why he adopted the thug persona, he said, because if I don't, I'll lose everything I have. What else is going to love me but the thugs? Tupac knew that the harder lyrics sold the most records, and that's what he continued to rap about. Besides thug life etched across his torso, Tupac also had the word outlaw tattooed on his arm. But writer Kevin Powell said being an outlaw in music was nothing new, white or black. In black culture, the outlaw figure was always, has always existed, beginning with Chuck Berry. Sometimes people would put on the persona. A lot of times, Pac wasn't the person he was rapping about. He became it. A lot of people in this generation have an I don't give an F attitude. Okay, I have a poem. We're going to continue with the music app, the book later. And and we're going to end with that right there. America. I love you, America, and thanks for listening to my podcast, Cry, Let It All Out. I have a poem for you now, or a rap, if you want to call it that. And Tupac and Biggie, you know we need to find their murderers. Cry for Tupac and Biggie if you want to. I did and it helped my heart. The things they didn't even get to start, apart from them, it's hard. Tupac and Big were real and honest, no facade. Tupac a methodical voice, my first choice. Big a descriptive man, like footprints in the sand. You see, when they were out, the whole world would scream and shout. Happiness is what I'm talking about. You knew the words to all their songs. Even if they were long, the songs told the story, never boring. Tupac, I miss you. Big, I adore you. I just had to come through and tell the world, cry if you want to. As tears roll down your cheek, this is nothing me. Just a sweet note by a sweet girl. Remember when I used to wear hair curls? Now just a straight-up afro. Watch me glow. Take the centerfold. Cry. Wait one minute. Hold. The sadness of a tear in your hand. 
when you wipe it away, cry. That's the plan. Pour like oil in a pan. Stop the violence is something we can't promote. Remember that quote. Spread it from coast to coast. Instead, show acts of kindness. Stop the blindness on gun violence. Tupac, very handsome. Big, very solid. Cry if you want to. None of these other rappers are saying anything. After Tupac and Big, guns you shouldn't sing about. I think the gun holder believes he got clocked. Yes, I said he, because rarely do we see women killing about. Cried so much when my mother died that tears covered my entire face, not just the two sides under my eyes. Cry I do for my father. He died one month after. It was spring, nothing hotter. I feel like I've got no one, even though my smile is as big as the sun. I rise every day watching daughters enjoy mothers and fathers. I'm a leader. I'm a starter. Imagine if your parents were no longer a part of your life, not trying to be trife, but I'll tell you to cherish them because you'll experience strife. Crying to other students in college, but I loved it, like a beardless porridge. Tupac, Hail Mary, or Keep Your Head Up, my favorite song. Big, Warning, I Love the Dough, or Big Papa, my favorite song. Cry if you want to, America. Yes, America, you must cry if you want to. That's the end of the podcast, America. Uh, I love you. Thanks for listening. You are the greatest. And remember, keep your head up. Ooh, child, things are gonna get easy. Keep your head up. Ooh, child, things will get brighter. Love you, sweet D. Cry. Say in peace. See you next time. We love Tupac and Big.